0: My name is Jenna. Just Jenna. No last name. Or at least no last name I can tell you. I am a fandalite. I guess that makes me one of the most hunted, endangered species on Earth. The Yerks want me dead. They want my friends dead. So if they knew who I was and how to find me, that would be the end of the podcast. <laughs> Special episode. It's Megamorph Books number one. Yeah, welcome Fandelite's to Fandalite's
1: gift. Welcome to Fandalite's Megasode number one.
0: Yeah, Megasode number one. Uh, this is a special episode for a lot of reasons, none least of all because Brent and I have been drinking, and um, we're in the same place. We're in the same room.
1: That is not normal.
0: No, Brent, would you tell us what we've been drinking? Tell the party, oh, right, uh, the audience, yeah. what we've okay. been drinking. Okay,
1: so for these Megasodes and the um, all the all the side stories, pretty much. Uh, I'm coming up with cocktails that we're drinking while we record them. Mm. So for this one, number one, I came up with a cocktail for Jake. Tiger's Blood. <sighs> it is uh, watermelon vodka, Malibu coconut rum, and a strawberry liqueur. Uh, and it was prepared as a snow cone
0: mm.
1: in traditional Tiger's Blood flavor. And also because it can't stay in that form longer than two hours.
0: Uh in fact, it lasted a lot less than that because we, we ate slash drank it. Yeah. It was very good, but a lot of work. Uh, but highly recommended. Uh, the, it's the officially recommended cocktail for this episode. Yeah,
1: that's Jake's. Well, uh, I think next time, I think we got one for Axe coming up for the next Mega Megamorph.
0: Yeah, I think so. We've got, yeah, we've got some brewing. And by us, I mean Brent has some topics brewing.
1: We're going to do these again. Probably next one we'll have two or three different cocktails because there's fewer Megamorphs than there are Animorphs. So i got to get them all in.
0: So the special thing about the Megamorph books is that each chapter is narrated by a different character. So whereas each of the normal books is like entirely narrated by Jake or Rachel or so forth. Each chapter of a Megamorph is narrated by a different character for for, uh, the benefit of the book or the detraction depending on your experience. Um, We'll talk about that later. Um, We initially tried to record this talking about the entire book, but there's so much in this book because it's about twice as long as a normal book, it just didn't work out. So we're going to do a blow by blow, but also intersperse our discussion. Uh, alongside that, just because there's just too fucking much.
1: It's a different format
0: for a side
1: storybook. mm -hmm. So this chronologically takes place between books seven and eight, which is why you're getting this now instead of book eight.
0: So this book opens with Rachel more or less saying... Uh, Should I go to this gymnastic camp I signed up for before we became Animorphs? And all of her friends are like, yeah, in order to remain normal-seeming, you should. And she's like, okay. But then she totally does round robin on both the Animorphs and her family.
1: Yeah, like, the first thing she does is everybody is like, yeah, you deserve it. Go be normal. And she's like, okay, I'll go do it. And then she's like... Nah, I think I'm going to tell everybody, my friends and family, <laughs> that I'm going to gymnastics camp, but actually, I'm going to fuck off to the woods and hang out with Tobias all
0: weekend? Yeah! I'm going to go see my crush all weekend. Mm, right. I mean, that's such a teen thing to do, to yeah. be like, I have the option of spending the weekend as a bird with my crush, so I'm going to... Classic teen.
1: Right. Tobias, yeah, classic teen. We all remember <laughs> when we spent the weekend with our he crush did. as a bird.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, Tobias doesn't know either. This is... A plot point that will become crucial because yeah. on the way to see Tobias as an eagle, she gets overwhelmed by a bunch of smaller oh, little birds, birds yeah. starlings.
0: Maybe I don't think they specify. Maybe I don't think they specify what small birds it is.
1: Anyway, it's a whole bunch that think that she's like stepping to their nest. Ahala, Yeah. And so they just pummel her, and she runs into a tree, and later on Tobias is like oh yeah I saw this eagle getting just totally owned by a bunch of little birds he doesn't recognize Rachel's eagle
0: (laughs) which is really weird because because Later on, Axe does recognize Rachel's grizzly bear. Yeah,
1: but they've flown together, and he's got those eyes. Yeah, he's got and them black eyes. Like, you
0: know, he's checking out Bird Rachel like, oh, every totally. second he can.
1: The, I think I think it's Cassie in this book that just comes out and says, "Yeah, we're pretty sure that Rachel and <laughs> Tobias have a thing for each other." <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, Cassie knows, yeah. yeah, I think it's one of her POV chapters where it's like, yeah, we all pretty pretty I pretty much know that Rachel and Tobias have a thing for it together, but also Tobias is a hawk and Rachel's like a human. so that's weird.
1: So okay, early on in the book and this is um, this is breaking a little from the recap. But early on in the book, Jake, I think, lists off. he says that it's it's us. Five anamorphs plus Axe, yeah, which is really weird that Axe is not considered an anamorph. Yeah, and then later on in an Axe chapter, he reiterates that he himself does not count as an animorph.
0: Yeah, that's super weird to me because, like, what what does it mean to be an animorph? You're morphing to save the Earth, I guess, but like,
1: right? If it's a human with the power count? of morphing. Tobias is still an anamorph, and he no longer has that power. Yeah,
0: he's not quite human, as they expressively...
1: He definitely can't morph.
0: Yeah, no, and in the book, Tobias expressively points out, like, that he's kind of forgetting when he was human. Like, his memories of being human are fuzzy.
1: It's really, like, a continuation of his experience in the last book, where... Mm. As a human he had problems remembering how not to flap away. (laughs) When
0: Rachel was coming Uh at him, yeah. Super distressing emotionally. Yeah. Like I mean Tobias is very explicit about in, in this book about how he's like, he's part hawk and he's part human now. That's just who he is. But like the yeah. There's a lot of questions there. So Rachel crashes into a tree.
1: Falls unconscious.
0: Falls unconscious.
1: Then we switch back to a different POV.
0: Yes, that's one of the things I kind of liked about this book is all of the POV gave uh, KA Apple. I feel like KA Applegate is really, really great at building tension yes. and building in foreshadowing that you that fills you with dread. Like you get these moments where it's like, oh boy, KA, what are you setting up later? Like I think she's so good at setting up tension like that, and I think this book is a really good example. It's a
1: Maybe there are definitely several chapters where you're like, all right, I literally just read everything that's happening here, but from someone else's perspective and you're not adding a ton. It's not like a Rashomon type situation (laughs) where it's everybody's telling a different version for literary effect. It's just literally like now we're switching the perspective of the person in the passenger seat of the car.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I think it gets a little bit more redundant than it needs to. I still think it's effective, and the fact that it's very easy to read because it's a young adult novel and we're adults.
1: <laughs> the nominally. Fact that it, nominally.
0: Yes, yes, nominally adults. Uh, that could be the subtitle of this podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I agree. She's really good at building tension. This is a great device for it. I don't feel think she quite stuck the landing on it with this one, but I'm really looking forward to Megamorphs number two, because yeah. I think she's going to take those places.
0: I think, is Megamorphs number two, Do they go in the past in that, did they time travel in that one?
1: Okay, spoiler alert for our <laughs> listeners, the Megamorphs books are where things get a buck wild.
0: Yeah! I seem to remember one where they travel back in time, I think that's a Megamorphs book. We'll there be. is
1: literally a Megamorph whose subtitle is In the Time of the Dinosaurs. Yes!
0: That's exactly the one I'm thinking of.
1: So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, things get buck wild. This one's pretty tame in comparison. Yeah, it's a nice. Nice, slow dip into yeah. the Megamorph's pool.
0: So, we know from certain chapters that there's a pool party happening. A popular kid named Darlene is having a pool party. Darlene! Uh, <laughs> Marco is expressively, expressively not invited to. And yeah. your first instinct, which was mine, might be like, Oh, she like racist. Is that what's happening?
1: Oh, no! She like,
0: well, she, like, she oh. like don't like Marco.
1: We've had a Marco POV, though.
0: Yeah, that's We've true. had a Marco POV, <laughs> <laughs> They
1: explicitly say the reason that Marco's not invited to this is because last time he went to one of these, he dropped a bunch of candy bars in the pool and told everybody that they were dookie.
0: Yes, yeah. And Marco's a bad pool guest, is why he's not fucking invited. And Marco won't accept that. He's very upset about not getting invited. Jake and Cassie are both invited, and they're at the party chilling. Yeah, uh, yeah. When they see some mice come in, right? Marco moving erratically.
1: Marco, of course, is one hundred percent certain that the reason he was not invited to this party <laughs> is because Darlene is into him. <laughs> And he convinced Axe to uh, join along with his plan to spy on his crush Yeah. Uh, by promising to give Axe some flea powder because Axe has fleas yeah. <laughs> that he doesn't really know what they are. he's, he's like, an
0: Andalite. He's from a planet where there are, like, ten species or whatever bullshit.
1: Right. There's no parasites on Andalon or whatever planet they're from. <laughs> and <laughs> there's... there's There's no fleas in the champagne room. (laughs) So... So yeah, so uh he's like, of course, oh I, I have all this strange itching and all of these bumps, and Marco has promised me a magic medicine to make them go away.
0: Yeah, and Tobias is like, that's flea powder, Marco, yeah, that's you, fucked up. You, you have, have fleas. Yeah, you should <laughs> just give him that flea powder that's fucking weird. Tobias being the the a uh, 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 voice of reality. Tobias
1: Marco. Let's be honest, being the resident voice on having fleas.
0: <laughs> yeah, probably he is a wild bird, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so Marco and X if Tobias catches a mouse for them which is uh, i think a pretty important marker of how they've come along with tobias's bird of preyness yeah like, he's like
1: comfortable enough to let them morph his lunch before he chows down
0: yeah yeah and you know i mean they don't and say they're making it, but jokes you know. But they're making jokes about
1: it the whole time
0: yeah everybody seems a lot more comfortable with tobias's kind of tragic fate which is a nice, a nice perspective. It's to good see. that
1: they're adjusting to it. They have w- yeah. one like mentally healthy thing that they're doing.
0: <laughs> but yeah, Marco and Tobiah, uh Marco and Ax both morph this mouse and bust into the fucking pool party. They crawl over Darlene's toes because Marco's kind of a next level creeper in this episode. I feel like he isn't normally, but this book. For sure a next level mm-hmm. creeper. I'm
1: just really glad these came out before Reddit was a thing. I'm just thinking that Marco and Axe would both have been red pilled.
0: Oh no! I don't think Axe would have. Marco may- Are you kidding?
1: Axe is the one who's all like my coat of honor.
0: Ah, oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Axe would have worn a fedora. It would have crunched down his little andelite stalks. <laughs> it would have been very sad. <laughs> he could have just cut all this for him. <laughs> That's also very good.
1: Interest. Okay. I do want to bust in here for a second while yeah. we're talking about this because there's a really poignant almost bit uh, in the Jake and Cassie chapter when Marco and Axe first show up Morphed as Mice, where he just hears Darlene start screaming and immediately goes into like fight or flight mode. Yeah. Where he's checking the exits and figuring out like where's it coming from? How can we escape?
0: Yeah.
1: Which is like not a normal teenage boy reaction and it's just heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, I feel like the plot of this whole book was sort of this m- way of stepping back from the normal continuity and being like, "This is how fucked up all of these teenagers have gotten about being in this war." Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll get to that later with some of the subplots. But that—that's really like heavy in this book. Once they see that there are mice, they observe the mice acting unlike mice would, and they're like fucking Marco like they know they know it's fucking Marco yeah. and uh, and they try to intercept them by being like oh gosh I mean if these mice want to be saved they should come towards my voice <laughs> 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 and the mice don't the mice go into the house because they're chasing after people and then uh, Marco and Axe's plan as we see from their POV chapters is to go into the basement morph back to human and Andalite, respectively, and then do something else.
1: Question marks.
0: Question mark. We never get that far. Uh, We flash back to Jake and Cassie, who are trying to also enter the house and then get into some sort of weird pileup because a bunch of people are trying to run into the house to escape the mice. They end up in a pileup. And then we see each of these POV chapters end with this sort of weird tornado dust cloud descending from the sky, turning into a monster of mouths and destroying Darlene's house in order to get at something.
1: Like putting the whole house through a wood chipper.
0: Yeah, I think they describe. I think Marco specifically describes it as a carrot in a trash disposal, which I thought was a very evocative poetry. Oh, that is. Yeah.
1: Good job, K.A. Applegate.
0: So we see that same chapter, that same moment happen from... Jake and Cassie, I think, and Marco and X and Tobias.
1: Is yeah, that right? I think we see it from everybody's perspective but Rachel because she's unconscious in the woods.
0: Yeah, so we, we get this perspective of this horrifying dust cloud that manifests as a whirl of blades and needle-sharp teeth. Fucking horrifying. And then we flash to Rachel, who is coming to in the forest. Half eagle. And she doesn't remember a thing. She has total amnesia. She looks down. Her feet are like half claws and she has a beak and she's like, what's happening? Because she doesn't know. And she manages to morph back to human just by like praying to be human.
1: I wonder how long she was out here.
0: It's a good one. I mean, it had to have been less than two hours because she was able to morph back.
1: Definitely. I'm wondering if it almost wasn't, like, just a very small amount of time. Normally, when you lose consciousness mm. from a sharp blow to the head, and granted Animorphs is a little bit of a cinematic uh, universe in terms of rules, but, like, in real life, if you lose consciousness from a sharp blow to the head, and it's more than, like, a few seconds, you've got brain damage. Like, oh. you, that's a, a serious injury.
0: Yeah, and I, I get the impression, so we it's been well established in the Animorphs canon up to this point that if you have a horrific injury, like you're a dolphin who has its limb, like its tail, mostly bitten off by sharks, mm-hmm. when you morph back to human, you'll be fine, you'll be uninjured. Uh-huh. So the fact that Rachel sustained an injury in a morph, and then morphed back to human, and is still injured, indicates to me that this is not a physical memory loss I think this is, like, a symptom of her PTSD.
1: I think you're probably correct. And this isn't the only time that she morphs before she... Spoiler alert, she regains her memory. I guess (laughs) sometime in the next 54 books. Shocker. (laughs) Uh, So this isn't the only time she morphs before she regains her memory. And, in fact, it's not the only time that she heals a physical injury yeah! from morphing. Yeah. Um, it's we, We'll get to some of them later, but, like, she's walking through the woods barefoot. Yeah. And she mentions that her feet are, like, all cut up and scratched. And next time she morphs and morphs back, she's like, Oh, they're better.
0: Yeah. And, it's explicitly called out in this book.
1: And the fact that Rachel's PTSD uh, follows Hollywood rules of... Uh, like, getting hit in the head as an on-off button for your memory. <laughs> I, like, that definitely jives more with a teenager who is having a, like, psych, a, a psychotic break.
0: And I think it's, it's, it's interesting because... Like Rachel only morphs morphs that she's morphed before. What a sentence! She's only she's only <laughs> say morphed, it five times fast. She only morphs morphs that she's familiar with.
1: But what does she sell by the seashore?
0: Morphs. It's all she has to sell. <laughs> <laughs> but she I, she never becomes overwhelmed by the monsters themselves. She's all always very Rachel, which I think is an indicator that even though she's morphing animals. Like, the, those animals aren't even getting a foothold into her emotional trauma.
1: It, it strikes me that just completely abnegating her experiences in the war is a very Rachel response because mm. her self-image is so centered on the, the warrior goddess uh, mm. archetype, almost. Her whole identity is wrapped up in being brave and, and forward and a, a woman of action. And so she can't just... Like, Marco's defense mechanism is humor. Yeah. And you pointed out earlier when we were talking about this, Tobias even mentions that Marco is an incredibly smart dude. Yeah. Afflicted. By a sense of humor. Yeah,
0: in Axe's POV, Axe talks about like... No, oh. Tobias. No, it's in Axe's it POV where he's like, Tobias, uh, uh, Marco seems to be afflicted with some sort of thing called a sense of humor. And Axe <sighs> doesn't quite get it, but it's a really funny way of diagnosing... His, it's, it's an accurate way of diagnosing yeah. a sense of humor. Like, he is using that as an emotional defense. Right,
1: that's Marco's coping mechanism. Rachel can't do that because it very much... Depends on distancing yourself from the horror. Yeah. Rachel's m- mechanism for dealing with this has to be like, let's just reset to before I had to hmm. be like actually life or death brave to back when I could just be normal person brave.
0: Yeah. I mean, because her, her whole persona in this war is that she doubles down. If there's something that's dangerous, she doubles down on it in order to sort of motivate the animals in order to go through with it. Because we have... Uh, uh, In a balance, we have Marco and Cassie who are always sort of reserved about Mm -hmm. moving forward. And you have Jake who's very much like, we need to weigh the options. And then you you have to have Rachel in that dynamic to say, no, we fucking have to. Yeah. We fucking have to do this. She
1: balances it out.
0: Yeah. And and I think that's important. And that's important for their their sort of social eco. System. System. Even. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. So she's really important for their their social ecosystem. She has to be there to double down. If she's not there to double down... They won't do anything. I
1: mean, flashback to her, like, Sun Tzu Art of War vision board for <laughs> yes, a second. which
0: is so good. Rachel is my, my goals, my personal goals. That Sun Tzu vision board is my personal Rachel goal.
1: All of the Marco chapters still very much resonate with me, uh, except when he's being creepy.
0: Yeah,
1: which he is in this book a little God. bit with Darlene. Because
0: he's very much like, she's super into me because she didn't invite me to her pool party. And like, that's a crazy way of thinking, Mark. It's a very, I think a very teenage boy way of yeah, thinking.
1: Yeah, that's fair. He is a yeah. 13-year-old boy in, yeah. in con- contemporary-ish American culture. It's, yeah, no, I, I get it. He's He thinks he's John Cusack and Say Anything.
0: <laughs> when it is. came
1: out, and not John Cusack and Say Anything if you go back and watch it today.
0: Yeah, yeah. Rachel is trying to morph back from being, like, half eagle, and when she does, this whirlwind appears chomping through trees to get at her, and she is like, oh fuck, accurately, she's like, oh fuck, and she takes off, like, still half morphed. She's half morphing out of being an eagle still, and she's running from this horrible beast. And she's running through the woods and eventually she busts out of the woods with this horrible whirlwind of teeth and blades chopping through the woods at her and she sees a highway and she's like well it's the monster or the highway it's the monster's way or the highway and she (laughs) says it's the highway
1: jenna i'm so upset with you right now
0: (laughs) she she bursts into the street and knocks into what is very specifically mentioned a ben and jerry's truck this monster runs into this ice cream truck and the whole highway like shuts down the, the the monster is so occupied with running into this truck, Rachel is able to run back into the woods, escaping it. But in the meantime, some sort of civilian in the car pulls out a camcorder and records this monster hitting this truck and for a split second records Rachel running back into the woods.
1: Now let's be 100% clear here. The Megamorphs were never updated in the 2008 re-release. Yeah. So this is a plot point from the original late 90s books of someone having a VHS camcorder in their car and pulling it out to record this monster.
0: Yeah, and selling it to the news later, which is how the rest of the Animorphs learn about Rachel not being a gymnastics camp.
1: Right, because
0: they're like, hey,
1: that blonde girl in the
0: leotard? Who's barefoot? That's weird. That's
1: Rachel, right?
0: That's probably Rachel, right? Rachel wanders into the woods and finds a mad woman with a shack who gathers clothing to an insane extent. Right. And I seems mean she's, to be th- she's
1: definitely got some sort of mental illness. Yeah. And it's such a fucking gut punch when you find out why.
0: So Rachel finds some tank tops, like hanging on like a clothesline, and is like, Some clothes, thank god I'm in a leotard and I don't have shoes and I have amnesia. It would be great to have some shoes. (laughs) So she wanders up to this shack in the forest, in like just in the middle of the forest that she wanders upon, and there's a woman there who's like, Cash or credit. And Rachel's like, This isn't a store, this is a shack in the forest. And the woman's like, cash or credit, what yeah, do you want from my store?
1: You need a receipt if you're going to make an exchange.
0: Yeah, and Rachel's like, um, <laughs> I'm also insane right now because I have amnesia, so I don't know how to react to this. Right,
1: and it's this uh, this homeless, obviously homeless woman who has gathered a bunch of, like, discarded clothing uh, and just hoarded it in yeah. her shack.
0: Yeah, shoes, piles of clothing varying from... Uh, dirty enough to be unrecognizable to potentially wearable.
1: Yeah, like just pulled out of the mall dumpster.
0: Yeah, so Rachel wanders on this this scene and it, it, it slowly becomes obvious and I think this is one of the great things about the back and forth perspective is that we see Rachel's perspective being like hey lady, what's happening? And the lady's like, do you have two things in your brain? And Rachel's like, I don't know what that means because I have amnesia. And this lady's like, what if you had a yurk in your brain? And Rachel's like, I don't know what that word means. Okay. It it
1: sounds familiar to her though. Yes! And this is the, oh, this is part of what's so just upsetting about this whole scene is it becomes very clear through the dialogue that this woman was a controller Yeah. and her yurk Made her turn over her family to become controllers. Yeah, we don't know how she escaped, but we know that it broke her.
0: Yeah, she seems to be. I mean, she's exhibiting sort of paranoia, but the problem is, like, it's accurate. Right, like, the Yurts are probably after her. It's
1: not paranoia if they are in fact after me.
0: Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really distressing because you. I. I mean, my impression of the scene is that. Because the Earth-based Cadrona that the Animorphs destroyed in Book 7 has been destroyed, she is part of... And they make reference to this later in the book, that, that people are being rationed access to the sun. Her, her Yurk probably starved because they destroyed the Cadrona, and then okay. she was released.
1: Okay, that is really good I'm glad that you thought of that because I was worried the whole time I was reading this that this was going to turn out to be the the canon version (laughs) of (laughs) Agatee that they rescued and she's just crazy no
0: I think Rachel would have recognized her.
1: Yeah. That, well, that's, that's what She's
0: clearly super
1: important. Rachel doesn't have her memory.
0: Oh no, Brent. <laughs> yeah. And nobody else other than Rachel sees her. Although again, Tobias yeah, knows. Right. That's there's true. There's a mad woman with a shack in the woods, but does not seem to recognize that she is okay. the previous year controller. All right.
1: So I think you're right. It's, yeah. it's definitely her year died because of the loss of the Kindrona. Yeah. Yeah. Hecate is still very much a going concern.
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely. So this,
1: this. Hashtag Hecate lives. Hashtag Hecate lives.
0: <laughs> so, so this crazy woman seems to have lost her yurk one way or another, probably because the Cadrona ray was destroyed and they, the Cadrona sun wasn't available anymore to feed them. Um, and she is just entirely broken. There's nothing left of this woman. She's just a pile of paranoia and concern that. The Yerks are going to come back for her, which is a fair concern. I
1: mean, she's somewhat of a mirror of uh, the Animorphs in that we see in this book a lot of the fallout psychologically Mm. of what they have been made to do in their war that they were sort of conscripted into with the Yerks. And we see in this woman the psychological fallout of what the Yerkes made her do, Mm. like, physically made her do.
0: Yeah, she explicitly calls out her husband mm-hmm. that she had to turn over. Fuck. I, yeah, right? And it, it raised a lot of questions to me reading it, like, what is Tom going to be like if he is ever freed? Is he going to be... Is anybody who has been through that experience and has been broken, as it's indicated in book six, the York says, like, we always break our, our, our hosts. Like, is anybody who has been... Uh, uh, controlled, going to be able to get over that trauma? Uh,
1: I honestly think the answer is probably no, because the Animorphs aren't going to be able to get over their trauma either. No way. I have not finished the series, but I'm calling it now. (laughs) They are not going to recover from this experience.
0: No, probably not. (laughs) Probably not.
1: Based on how grim these books have been...
0: Yeah, yeah. So Rachel's trying to find a size five shoes, and this woman's torn.
1: I do really enjoy that you remembers.
0: Um, yeah, because she found a size six and a size five, and she was like, "Yeah, this is fucking good enough." So Rachel is like really concentrating to find some shoes, and this mad woman is like, well, maybe you've got some York in you, because I'm crazy." And, and Rachel's like, "Yeah, maybe," and and this woman. Like, pushes Rachel into this trap door in some sort of, like, root cellar beneath this shack.
1: Yeah, I wasn't 100% clear from the writing on whether this was, like, a crawl space, or... It says it has three dirt walls and one made of logs, like the shack, but it's never super clear on, like, how tall it is, or... Like is it built into the side of a hill or what's going on?
0: Two story shack with logs <laughs> in right. some sections. Like a two
1: story. It's it's a luxury shack. Yeah, it's, it's two a, stories, it's a lux- mixed use on the first floor. It's
0: a mix shack. Yeah, it, it's super deluxe and has two stories, one of which has a log wall. Anyway, she knocks Rachel down into this trapdoor, into this weird crawl space, and Rachel's like, "Fuck, fuck."
1: Um, if, like you do in yeah, that situation.
0: Absolutely accurate, and she starts to smell smoke and fire, and realizes that the madwoman has set her shack on fire on top of Rachel. And then we zoom to another perspective. Again, a very high tension book. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Unlike earlier, where it was like, here's the exact same situation from different perspectives. Yeah, which is This where is the first very much like is. like she's given you enough yeah. that you like are on the edge of your seat, and then boom, this is happening now.
0: So Rachel is trapped in this smoke and fire-filled hell, and then we flash to Marco and Jake at it again. Um, This time they're like, we should morph wolves and try to smell out Rachel, which is a good plan. But pretty much as soon as they start morphing, this dust monster happens upon them again. Uh, And they, they sort of... Jolt into the forest and Tobias is hanging around as a hawk sort of trying to keep an eye on things to more or less success. But the wolves, Jake, we get a Jake POV as a wolf trying to navigate towards thicker parts of the forest. Because this dust monster, when it manifests as uh, a a series of mouths and uh, razors, can cut through the forest very quickly.
1: Yeah, we have a whole chase scene where it's like having to compost having to mulch (laughs) having to mulch the fucking trees in the forest uh slows it down just enough for them to keep ahead of it
0: barely like they are losing ground and jake's like okay we have to get someplace where there's thicker wolves and he sort of leans on the wolf instinct the wolf brain to lead them into thicker forest and then they are able to keep ground without losing ground Um, for a while. And then we switch to Axe's POV, which is an important change because we see Axe come upon a burning shack and this dust forest. And I think in in between we get a Rachel POV where she's like, I need to, I'm very scared because I'm in a burning shack. I need to be more powerful. It's really interesting that Rachel has this instinct, like, I am scared and weak. I'm human. I need to be more powerful. She's, she's not making a conscious choice to morph, but she does morph into a grizzly bear. I think that's a really interesting, partially a perspective into Rachel, who seems like somebody who always wants to be a little bit more powerful, if she can be. But also an interesting perspective on morphing as almost an instinct that is written into your DNA rather than a choice.
1: It kind of harkens to me... Um, to the sort of uh, hypnagogic state that you aspire to in magical practice Hmm. where you start out sort of meditating until you can sort of self-hypnotize and the whole trick behind spellcasting later is to will yourself back into your memory of that state without having to pass through the entire process first Hmm. and she sort of um, and we, we got a real good view in her last POV book uh, about how fucking fearless the grizzly bear is. It does mm. not care. Yeah. Nothing threatens it. And she's just sort of like, wills herself back into this state and the grizzly follows.
0: So she wills herself into the grizzly bear morph because she wants to feel powerful and she breaks through the wooden logs. And pretty much as soon as she breaks through the logs, the dust monster of mouths is there ready to attack her.
1: Yeah, it pivots directly from chasing the wolves
0: to yes. her. Yeah, so it's chasing the wolves for a while, and then it departs to chase after her with her morphing energy. And we get this experience where... <laughs> spoiler. Spoiler! Morphing energy is a thing? Axe uh, shows up on the scene and and sees the grizzly bear, which he immediately knows is Rachel. Good on you, Axe. He immediately knows, like, that's Rachel. What the fuck is up? Oh, Rachel takes a swing at this mo- dust monster, and it's sort of a comedic thing where she swings with her whole paw, and then ends up with half an arm. It's just it gone. It's just gone. And then she swings with her other arm. Because
1: that's a great idea.
0: And it's just gone. And Ax sees this and like is like, well, I could attack it with my tail, I guess, but it would eat my tail off. And Axe is like, maybe I will not do that thing. <laughs> but I think Axe starts to morph into something, and the creature, the dust creature, senses Axe morphing, wraps him up in these sort of weird tongue tentacles things.
1: Right, it's an interesting bit, because he starts morphing, and then that's when he's like, man, I can attack it, but it's going to eat my tail. Yeah! So I'm just going to stand still, and it it wraps him up. He's forever really... Uh, deletized and loving it.
0: Yeah. He gets wrapped up with tentacles and this (laughs) dust creature carries him off. Meanwhile, uh, Marco and Jake are like, there's something on fire. Let's go investigate it. They get to the shack. There's nobody there except for a trail of fucking blood and paw prints from a grizzly bear leading to a creek.
1: Right. Not quadruped paw prints because Rachel was hobbling around on her hind legs
0: flailing her stumps. Horrifying. Very upsetting. Rachel makes it to a stream as a two-limbed bear. And morphs back to human and follows the stream away. We'll we'll get there, I promise. I know this is going slow, I promise we'll get there. It's
1: because we keep having to jump around.
0: Well, there's so much that fucking happens K.A. This
1: designed this book to make our podcast two hours long.
0: Yeah, and she got us. She totally got yeah. us. That's fair. fair. It's a fair cop, K.A. Yeah, so uh, Jake and Margo follow, and uh, Tobias to a certain extent follow the trail back to the creek, but then they lose Jake, but they see... A bunch of Andalite footprints, and they're like, Oh, I guess something happened here. Um, but then they bail. So we get an Axe POV. He has been captured and taken to Viscer 3's yeah. blade ship. Uh, and he is captured, and thankfully it was Axe that was captured because he's the only actual Andalite. And we get I I found the whole sequence on the blade ship to be pretty funny yeah it
1: was very entertaining yeah
0: because Visser 3 has this whole speech where he's like my human advisors thought that the Andalite bandits might be human but I knew they were Andalites this whole time
1: it's sort of appropriate that you just decided Visser 3 is Dutch (laughs) a a Dutch last name
0: Yeah, Yeah. and so we get this whole speech, like, this evildoer speech from Visitor 3. Yeah,
1: it's very in character for Visitor 3 to deliver the stereotypical, uh, here is my evil plan now that I've (laughs) caught you speech.
0: Yeah, he really does. He captures Axe in this, like, airless cube prison.
1: (laughs) It is a cube of (laughs) Ramonite. the alloy from which the Ramones were constructed.
0: <laughs> so Mister 3 has this whole monologue. It's so- he he uses open thought speech, which is a real plot point in this, where you have closed thought speech, which is to certain people, and then open thought speech, which is to everybody. So it's like an yeah. open chat room. So visitor uh, 3 just always used open speech because he wants everybody to hear him. And he's describing- The Velik. The Velik. The Velik. Yeah,
1: the Velik spin
0: is a monster from a planet with uh, rings around it. What is that called?
1: Yeah, yeah. He doesn't know the fucking name of Saturn. <laughs> Viscer One would definitely know what Saturn is called Saturn,
0: because yeah. Viscer
1: One knows how to do their fucking job.
0: Viscer 3, incre- like vi- we already know Viscer 3 is incompetent. It's increasingly obvious throughout this book how incompetent Viscer 3 is cuz he releases this monster that kind of looks like a tornado, but mostly looks like a monster on Earth. And is like, no, aliens don't exist, but here's this monster. this 3 is bad at his job. I
1: mean, okay, so here's the thing, though. To be fair, they only need to cover up enough instances of this thing showing up until the quote-unquote Andalite bandits figure mm. out that it's attracted to their morphing. Then what are they going to do? I don't know. I'm pretty sure his plan is that they have to stay in, like, human morph until they can't morph anymore.
0: And, and it's So not yeah, a... okay,
1: sorry, we didn't cover it. The Velik eats energy. Visser 3 has somehow...
0: Morph, uh, like, mutated this creature.
1: I have so many questions about this.
0: And, and none of them will be answered, Brent. Let go of those questions. Act <laughs> suggests that it's a forced evolution process.
1: Right, okay, so somehow, morphine has a distinct and measurable energy signature yeah. that they can identify well enough to train this energy-eating, non-sentient creature to track uh, and bring back like a bloodhound, but not well enough to build a thing that just detects it.
0: It's Uh, a biological process.
1: Yeah, so they somehow mutated this creature to feed off of the energy of their engines, but it still wants that good, good, tasty morph energy. Yeah. And so it finds those and brings back... Things that have given that off to Visser Three, like a bloodhound, they call out. like Like a hunting dog. It
0: captures but does not eat the creator of that morphing energy.
1: The Velik, I think, is a really compelling idea Mm. for this series that I feel was, like, the weakest part of this book, actually. Really? Because so much of it is just up in the air it's just like yeah accept this Hmm. accept that we found this thing on Saturn
0: yeah and trained it for question mark long like they made a point
1: of this isn't a thing that exists somewhere else we just happened upon it
0: yeah and, and then, trained it extensively to do the specific thing that we needed.
1: Yeah, it, it just, the yeah. whole thing's very weak. It's
0: I feel very... like it had to be, though, because this is a, a book that's not in the main continuity. No. So it couldn't have been such a danger that they were worried about it coming back in the main continuity.
1: If you can train a... If they have access to creatures like this that they can train to do this... Yeah. That's not going to stay confined to the Saul system. Yeah. That's definitely going into their war effort against the Andalites somewhere else.
0: Uh, Yeah. I think that's fair.
1: So I, I don't think that it can be something that never comes back in the main continuity... Unless we just really are saying forget about it. You're thinking mm. about it too hard. It's a book, which, sorry, K.A., thinking about it too hard is the whole point it's of this the podcast. the
0: literal premise of this podcast.
1: <laughs> sorry. You can't get away with too it late. there. Too
0: late. Too late, K.A.
1: I, I'm curious to see if the, the leak shows up again. Yeah. I think it was a misstep to say, oh, yeah, we just found this, and not to make it like, Yeah, a we just known. found it on
0: Saturn, you know.
1: Like, I get it. Like you She do. didn't she didn't want Axe to immediately be able to say, oh, yeah, this is the Morph Hunter. It's the thing that yeah. they use. Yeah. But I, yeah. I don't buy it as much as if it's a thing that existed that is known and the Andalites are aware of.
0: It, yeah, it does seem too powerful to let slip by just for a one-shot book,
1: right? Because Visor Three uses it in the most ass way possible. But Visor One would come up with a way to use this effectively. Effectively,
0: let's and they jump were back on their way.
1: for just a second, because there is yeah. a scene here that I know we both made fucking notes about, where the Valik drops Ax off on the blade oh ship, my God. and he's unwrapped and surrounded by hork vizier with dracon beams. <laughs> As if those are safe yeah. to operate inside a flying fucking spaceship. We've seen them. Handheld dragon beams fucking <laughs> cut through this stuff. The glass of a spaceship. You can't shoot that inside it. That's oh, like firing no. a gun inside a plane. Yeah, it's very bad news. But I, like, an Axe is sitting there like, yeah, I could. I could attack Visitor 3. I could exis- cut his
0: fucking throat.
1: He has this whole existential crisis because apparently Andalite society is based on blood deaths where... Oh. Your honor depends on you uh, immediately at the first opportunity attempting to murder the dude who murdered your family, um, which, putting aside the the unworkability of that as the foundation of a society, uh, historical instances notwithstanding. Yeah, he has this whole, he's all torn up about, like, my honor as an Andalite. I'm a coward because I didn't immediately kill him. Yeah. And he's sitting there thinking, well, like, I could hit him. I could get him with my tail, but I'll immediately be shot. By yeah, these I will
0: be killed. Yeah,
1: and will you though? Will you? Because can they shoot those inside? Will that not just kill <laughs> everybody, everybody in the blade ship? Yeah. So yeah, okay. So he, so Three has Axe on the blade ship in this ramenite cube. He's given his his mm. his villain speech. He busts out the phrase "holier than thou" to describe the Andalites, it's which a
0: weird one. Yeah,
1: strikes me as strange for an alien to be using. That's a very Earth idiom. Yeah, I think. And then uh, the Balik the detects more morphine energy and flies off. And he's like, ha, huh, sucker, uh, I'm going to see your friends pretty soon.
0: And, and shit is getting wild. So, so Axe is in this cube and he's like, oh, I've got fleas. I wonder if I could morph a flea. And the answer is yeah, you can morph a flea. But this raises more questions as you know. As you as the listening audience know, Brent and I have questions about how all this morphing bullshit works. There's always more questions. There's always more questions. So he, he finds a flea. He captures it. He acquires it. He morphs the flea. What happens to the fleas that are on him when he morphs?
1: I'm really curious. Like, do they just jump off? Or, yeah. Or... Are they the lycra shorts of the animal kingdom?
0: Yeah, it's a great question because like when Axe morphs a flea, he's not like, oh yeah, and then a hundred other fleas dropped on me because I was no longer an andalite and those fleas no longer had a place on my body. It's, that's not what happens. He's like the only flea. So did those fleas morph with him?
1: Well, you pointed out earlier that those fleas have his blood in them. Yeah. yeah
0: so they do. I'm
1: wondering if, like, that's enough for the DNA to just be like, Welp, you're shorts now. your bike shorts of yourself.
0: <sighs> I mean, I, well, that's a great question because when he morphs human, he has bike shorts. Are those bike shorts made of fleas? Rachel, after becoming a bear, yes. yeah, wanders down the stream and eventually finds a house that is sold but not yet occupied. And right. she breaks in. She's and in she some gets, subdivision. Like, yeah, she's in some weird subdivision. She drinks some water and she drink uh, she eats some cookies that she finds that are left by the painters, and therefore um, gaining some strength back. And she like sleeps on the carpet and she's fucking confused. As hell and exhausted.
1: Right, she still remembers nothing at this point.
0: Yeah, and and she's passed out when she's suddenly awakened by some cops knocking on the door saying, We know you're in there. We saw somebody break into this house and the neighbors called you. Right, the busybody neighbors. Say something, yeah. Um, So she's like, oh, fuck. I wonder what I could become. To not be affected by the police, so she becomes an elephant because that's Rachel's MO. So she starts morphing into an, a, an elephant before she's even like halfway through her morph. The Velik it has traced her and starts tearing through this house that she's inhabiting. She's like, there's cops out front. There's a monster out back. I'm going to bust through the cops. So she's, at this point, I think uh, in one of the other perspectives, we get a, a an image of an elephant that still has human ears, which I think is very funny.
1: She's done this half-human, half-elephant thing in public enough at this point to, to be the beginning of an urban legend.
0: Yeah, she's her, a jackalope of herself.
1: She's the, the elephant girl of Virginia <laughs> Beach or wherever they're at. <laughs>
0: So she busts through as a half-elephant, and the cops are like, fuck. And then they see the monster behind her, and they're like, fuck! And they they start shooting at the monster behind her as she's, like, partially elephant morphed, and she's busting through them. And so it's this very, very lucky situation in which Cassie, Marco, and Jake are gathered together talking through the situation and they're like, I don't know what to do. And they stop to look at the moon and they see the dust monster pass over the moon, which is how they know somebody is morphing and they know it has to be Rachel. It's a very, uh, it's, a, it's a trick of fate, but I think it's a believable one.
1: Yeah, yeah, I... I... Uh, this did not strike me as the least believable uh, ex machina in this book.
0: Oh, no. Or in the Animorphs series in general. Fair. Yeah. Viser yeah. So
1: ex machina.
0: Viser <laughs> one ex machina. Yeah, they, they, they see the beast pass over the moon. They see the shadow and they're like, oh, fuck. So they steal Cassie's father's beat up truck his, like, beat-up veterinarian truck in order to chase after it. And there's this weird sequence in which Marco is driving the truck poorly. It's a weird sequence because it's, like, kind of comedy where he's, like, running into trash cans and shit. It's very
1: much played for laughs.
0: Yeah, in the middle of some shit that's happening, which I guess I appreciate I don't know that it read very well as an adult, but I think as a young adult, it probably was very good.
1: I appreciated that even, like, with no memory, Rachel couldn't help but get in a dig about Marco's driving.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Even,
1: even amnesiac Rachel clowns on Marco. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I like there's a scene... Because
1: I, that's just the relationship between Rachel and Marco.
0: Yes. There's a scene later on where Marco, uh, where Rachel has more or less regained her memory and Marco's like, I usually call you of the Warrior Princess and Rachel's like, oh, do I accept it with laughs or do I usually beat your ass? <laughs> and Marco's like, don't worry, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very good scene. Yeah. Um, but so, so Rachel is like half elephant at this point having crashed in this house and she busts through the front door there's a bunch, a bunch of of police, and she's like yeah. tearing down the street. Interject
1: here. It's Cassie's dad's truck that they stole.
0: Yeah, yeah, yes. It is a human adult's truck that they have they have taken on, a, not a joy ride, a terror ride.
1: And bus. I f- feel like I remember like Cassie's parents poking their heads out right before they just ran off with this fucking truck.
0: Yeah. Yeah, specifically, I think his mom is is comes in because she says, Hi, Jake. Hello, Marco. Ah! <laughs> Marco's a little bit of a troublemaker. And of course, her parents would like Jake more because Cassie is, you know, a little fun, Jake. And then,
1: you know, for how bad a writer he is, Jake's a very, <laughs> uh, a very serious stand-up kind of guy. A
0: good young man. He's That's not cool.
1: the sort of young man who turns into a mouse to spy on his crush.
0: Oh, super weird. Marco... So, so at this point, so just to pinpoint everybody, Cassie, Jake, and Marco are in a truck. Cassie's father's truck, beat-up truck, speeding towards the beast. Elephant Rachel is marching down the street trying to flee from the beast. Axe is a flea in a blade ship. Yeah, yeah, for real. And
1: and the fucking, um, the can't-hardly-wait, animal (laughs) house-style... Uh, this is where they ended up bit at the end, is just like, yeah, Cassie's parents assumed the truck was stolen. Yeah. By not you, Cassie, because you three were just out there and then disappeared for the rest of the night.
0: Yeah, they must trust, they Come must trust on. Cassie a lot. Ugh,
1: but do they trust Marco?
0: No, probably not. I wouldn't. That kid's trouble. And not because he's Latino. So they... <laughs> they you said it. Yeah. <laughs> So they they uh, they and Tobias is sort of around. He was like asleep through most of this, and he grumbles about the fact that he was asleep through most of this because he's a hawk and right. Yeah, I mean, he like, he's not that at great at night. Yeah. Uh, so well,
1: also, their whole strategy when they come upon Rachel when they finally manage to get over to Rachel and the league their whole strategy for distracting this thing is to constantly be morphine.
0: Yeah. ABM,
1: always be morphine Coffee is for morphers (laughs) And so they just keep trying To drag it around between them
0: Yeah, and it's worth mentioning And
1: Tobias can't really help there
0: No, I mean, Tobias can't help with most of their missions I love him, but he cannot help a super ton But Cassie, Cassie Is able to reason out the idea That this creature, which they don't well, we totally missed the part where Cassie goes to the mall. So Cassie goes to the mall because Jake's like, oh, Rachel's probably at the mall. And Cassie's like, that's kind of sexist, but I will go to the mall just in case she is there. I,
1: I would say it's kind of sexist except we are talking about Rachel.
0: She does love them all, and she one of the lives first memories, at them all. one of the first memories she recovers is a memory of the limited. Story. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. So maybe in this specific instance, yeah. she's probably at the mall is not necessarily sexist.
0: Yeah, but it's I think it's an interesting moment where Cassie's like I don't know if Jake is being sexist by trying to keep me out of trouble or if he's it's because we're like together that's the subtext I got is that because because Jake and Casey are sort of together like Jake is trying to keep Casey out of the real dangerous stuff which is its own form of sexism oh absolutely yeah so I thought that was an interesting introspective of Cassie
1: yeah she has a little bit of a rumination on, on that and I don't are they official yet, or are they, like, still on the DL?
0: They're on the DL. Yeah. As much as Rachel and Tobias on the DL. I, I think
1: maybe less than Rachel and Tobias, because Rachel and Tobias, everybody knows it except maybe them.
0: Yeah, maybe. Jake and yeah. Cassie,
1: they know it too.
0: Yeah, that's true. Jake and Cassie are in on their own romance, which is not true for Rachel and Tobias. But so Cassie is in... The mall when she runs into Chapman. Good old fucking Chapman. Jesus. The biggest leak in the Yurk organization, other than Vizzer three, perhaps.
1: It's a leak, all right.
0: Oh man! So she transforms into um, a morph. A leak. Oh. She transforms into a morph. <laughs> she she transforms into a fly and and hangs out with Chapman and here's this discussion between Chapman and two. Uh, human controllers one of whom is a police officer and the other one we don't get a lot of information about but they are, end up talking about like how fucking bullshit this plan is because they have to keep covering up for this Valiq and and the police officer uh, human controller that's there is like yeah only 10% of the police are controllers the rest are 90% human and they're dumb but they're not this dumb. Um, I,
1: I love that during this scene, like, one of the mentions, Yeah, we all know that Visser 1 <laughs> let them go last time, <laughs> but we can't prove it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was really funny. <laughs> like, everybody under Visser 3 knows it was Visser fucking 1, but oh, no. nobody can prove.
1: I have to imagine that everybody in their Visser 3 wishes they worked for Visser 1 instead. Oh, God,
0: yeah. They all seem to fucking hate Visser 3. because Everybody hates
1: Visser 3. He's not a likable dude. He's
0: very bad at his job. And the policewoman is like, just fucking over his bullshit. And Chapman's like, do you want to call him out on it? And the policewoman's (laughs) like, No. Oh, no, I don't want to starve because they're still <laughs> they're still rationing Kadrona rays from the last book. So they right because ca- the Animorphs
1: dealt their most decisive blow against the Yurk army last fierce
0: and potent blow. Yeah. <gasps> yeah, but Cassie overhears the discussion and it's very very funny as an adult to hear that all of the Yurks hate their manager because that's IRL for sure. So after Cassie has her uh, sidetracks by the mall, we, we get a lot of information. Like Cassie accurately deduces the idea that the Velik is attracted to morphing energy. And so they're able to take that forward in their plan. So they're all in this truck speeding towards where the Velik is. They discover an elephant, which they accurately assume is Rachel. Right. That's not a big gimme. There's, a ra- there's an elephant in a suburb. It's probably Rachel. So Cassie bails on the car and then um, the Valique is like there. The Valique wraps up Rachel, the elephant, in its tentacles, but it can't fly off because the elephant is too heavy.
1: Which is pretty great.
0: It's extremely funny to me. And it's a great plot point, but it's also very, very, very funny. So it takes off after the truck because Jake is in the back of the truck morphing into a tiger. So the, the rest of the book is a lot of, like, back and forth, sort of hide and seek. And uh, Cassie is like, your name's Rachel. Why don't you come with me? We're friends. And Rachel's like, that sounds legit. Which is fair. I would trust Cassie, too.
1: She's an extremely trustworthy person.
0: Yeah, no kidding. So Cassie and Rachel <laughs> team up. Uh, Rachel against... Still amnesiatic, increasingly less so. She's, like she's
1: gotten having flashes. Flashbacks. Yeah. Definitely had when she was having a little nap in that uh, sold-but-not-inhabited house. She mm. was definitely having her PTSD nightmares. And it's a good thing you can't sleep, Morph.
0: Ugh, right? <laughs> oh, man. Because they there are a couple times where they the Animorphs lose consciousness and morph partway out. Of morphs, but never into morphs.
1: There was a bit where... I don't even remember the context, but she thought about ants as a and had an immediate visceral re- visceral reaction, like, I don't remember why, but never again.
0: Jake morphs a tiger in the back of a truck as the, as Marco is driving the truck down a highway. The Velik is chasing it, and Jake's like, okay, I'm gonna bail... <laughs> wait five minutes, and then you start morphing. that'll distract the Velik. So Jake bails as a tiger and has some success because the tiger is very good at, at dodging and is very agile, but is not a great uh, endurance sort of mm-hmm. Morph.
1: Yeah, very much a sprinting animal.
0: Yeah, so he has some successes uh, morphing back and forth or uh, jumping back and forth as the tiger, but eventually wears out. And just as the Velik is about to snatch him up, it gets distracted by Marco morphing as a ape.
1: Now, Cassie morphs something here, right, and like squirrel. lands on Rachel's back. Yeah, yeah. squirrel. Yeah, because
0: we have the sort of confluence of events where Rachel is still an elephant, Marco is half gorilla driving the car, Cassie is on Rachel's back morphing a squirrel in order to attract the Velik, right. and also Visor Three has sent down some some ships in order to track all of these morphs that are happening, because it doesn't know what the fuck is happening.
1: Right. The Velik is is ping-ponging between all of these. Yeah. And there's bug ships just hanging around. Not cloaked, either.
0: No. Just hanging out, because yeah. I guess secrecy is over, Vizzer 3. Okay,
1: to be fair... They fucking do half human, half animal. Like they morph from human to animal and back in public. So many goddamn times in this book. Yeah, and in front seems of these bug care. ships, even. I don't know how they keep it a secret.
0: Well, to be fair, this is a point earlier that all of Viser 3's human That's commanders are like, um, okay, what if these Andalite bandits are actually human and right. Viser Three like. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely not.
1: Although you can almost see like the empty the, the lighter with no butane sparking <laughs> in his head earlier on when he's like, You're talking to me. Why are yeah. none of the others talking to me?
0: Yes. <laughs> Axe is the only one who talks to Visitor 3 And Vizor you're Vizor a, the a child endolite. yeah. yeah. But for some reason, Visitor Three is so excited about ca- capturing an actual Andalite. He's like, all of my my c- commanders are stupid.
1: Gorilla Marco crashes the truck into Rachel the elephant.
0: Yeah, weirdly, it's it. They, there's a jump in space time. See, he crashes into Ele- elephant Rachel, and the three of them are sprawled out. So, elephant Rachel is sprawled on the ground, injured. Uh, Half-squirrel Cassie is tumbled into the bushes. And then pretty much full gorilla Marco, it has crashed the truck and is crawling out of it. And the v like has this moment where, like, it's not sure where to go. And Cassie's like, if I keep morphing, it'll come to me. But that sounds unpleasant. That sounds terrifying. I'm not going to do that. So she chooses not to continue morphing. Yeah, so she the lays V-Lick there. like captures Gor- Gorilla Marco.
1: Half human, half squirrel in full view of the goddamn bug ships. Mm. K. Applegate, I swear.
0: The V-Lick goes after Gorilla Marco because he's the person who has most recently expended a significant amount of morph energy. And, and half squirrel Cassie... Chooses not to morph because that would attract to the energy, and this is a, a source of ca- a significant guilt for Cassie that she chose not to attract to the likes attention so that it would capture. Even though everything turns out okay, spoiler. So the Like captures Gorilla Marco and travel and uh, takes uh, Girl and Marco up to the ship.
1: Does that maybe it just occurred to me? Yeah. Does that maybe answer your conservation of mass question from earlier? If the matter uh, is changed into energy.
0: Yeah, to a certain extent, I guess. I know we've talked about this in the podcast before, about how they grow and shrink in mass without that mass being lost. Because that's, as far as I understand physics, uh, that's not how physics works. But I guess if it's converted to energy, and then that energy is converted back into mass when they grow in size...
1: You'd have to have... A certain assumed amount of like ambient morph energy yeah. at all times, though.
0: Yeah, like it's solar powered or Otherwise, something. Otherwise,
1: like you don't see the, the lights flicker or whatever mm. when they <laughs> when they become elephants or yeah. something. Yeah. Everything about the Velik is so
0: There's a lot of question marks there.
1: It's so broadly sketched.
0: After the Velik captures Marco Gorilla and takes it up to the blade ship, we get uh, another scene of Vizor 3 being like, oh, I captured another Animorph. Why don't you become your regular form? Why don't you become your regular form? Hey, what the fuck? Stop being a gorilla. Like, he gets so (laughs) upset. (laughs) He really does. He gets really upset that uh, that, that this, uh, quote-unquote, Andalite Bandit won't return to its original form. Uh, and in the meantime, through sort of a, I guess, a series of miscommunications, the uh, cube that Axe is imprisoned in, it's get, it gets opened. Axe is currently a flea. So the second this cube is opened, Axe is fucking gone.
1: Yeah, so they, they change the, uh, the, the Ramanite from opaque to transparent, and it looks empty. And Visor Three is like, "Where oh, has he gone?"
0: That's what has happened. Do and, parasites exist? I don't understand earth ecology.
1: And all of his underlings go and rush and open it, and he's immediately like, "No, you no, fools! Who? He's not gone. But it's too late. He's seen everything." <laughs>
0: Yeah, it, so Ax hops out of the cube and lands on a Taxon who is almost, in, I think, a Taxon or Horntiger, almost immediately killed. And right. it, 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 Ax ends up hopping here and there and ends up on Visor 3's back just as Marco is dropped into the blade ship, which is fucking good. I thought this was a very, very funny sequence. Yeah. So, uh, uh, basically, Visor 3 is like, why don't you stop being a gorilla? And Marco's like, I'm just, I'm not going to engage with this. Which is what you should do with toxic behavior. I'm not going to engage with Visor Three.
1: Well, I mean, also they have a standing policy, the animorphs of yeah. no thought speech to Visor 3, In case he
0: knows. In case human. he
1: can tell that you have a human accent.
0: Yeah. Which is totally fair. So, yeah, it's legit. Yeah, Marco doesn't say anything, and the the V-Lick is sort of hanging around because he's just dropped off Marco. And uh Axe is like, I've got a plan. Do you see that square on the controls? Marco's like, yeah. And X is like, touch it and think, open the hatch. And Marco's like, that seems like a dumb plan, but okay. And so Axe starts to morph back into a human. The V like. Senses, you mean morph back into an Andalite? Sorry, yeah, morph back into an Andalite. The V like senses this energy and wraps up Visor 3. And Visor right. 3's like. Because he's on Bizzard 3's like... on Bizzard 3 because he's a fucking flea, which I think is very funny. It's a very, very good plan.
1: Right, it also just by happenstance twigs twigs them to the fact that uh, this thing is vulnerable to water.
0: Yes! Vizzer is like, water! Water! And both in the POV sections for Axe and Mark, they're both like, why the fuck would he ask for water? But it becomes very obvious. It's is a
1: weird time to be thirsty.
0: Yeah, yeah. It becomes very obvious that uh, this creature is vulnerable to water in one way or another. So it tries to suck up uh, Axe, who's currently on visitors three back by snatching up Visor three, and Visor three freaks out and has it attack it with water. During this confusion, Marco rushes the control center, puts his hand on the, the control center, and says, open hatch. A- as soon as the hatch is open, Axe more back to flee, hops on Marco, and they both jump out of the ship, which is a very cool guy thing to do. <laughs> As they're as they're flying down, basically what happens? It takes about a chapter you, and a half to. You get
1: say here. flying, you mean falling.
0: I mean falling. Yeah, they fall through the atmosphere. They uh, and they both manage to morph back to their original forms, human in, and light, respectively, and then morph into birds before being crushed on the goddamn earth.
1: Like nick of time, nick of time, last as second. You would
0: imagine. Basically, Rachel, Cassie, and Jake all manage to demorph and get back to safety. Uh, without getting captured. And and Cassie and Rachel more or less hang out, and Cassie sort of fills Rachel in on the situation. Rachel has slowly but surely recovered her memory and flashes here and there.
1: They make a point of her amnesia is pretty much gone now once she got hit by Marco because she took another sharp (laughs) blow to the head. And it's like the goddamn Flintstones here.
0: The next morning, they all convene to discuss more or less what they've discovered, and Cassie comes up with a very good scheme both Cassie and Axe at this point are sort of struggling with the idea that they are cowards, that, that Axe had the opportunity to attack Visor 3 and didn't take it, and that Cassie had the opportunity to save Marco by morphing and didn't take it. And the way Cassie deals with this is by uh, volunteering for a pretty dangerous mission but it is a mission that really only she can do.
1: It's also uh, the the plan that she came up with.
0: Yeah, and it's a good plan.
1: I mean, it is a good plan. The, I mean, basically, their whole idea is lure the Velik out over the ocean and then uh, morph into a whale. Get it to pick you up and then morph into a whale when you're in the air so that it falls down into the ocean. And how quickly Cassie has gotten over her ethical concerns about acquiring sentient morphs. She was real torn up about the friends dolphins. <laughs> she was real torn up about you know how you doing, dolphin. From
0: book uh, five. Could
1: she be more any torn up about these dolphins? <laughs>
0: could you? I'm sorry. Can you do that again in a more Chandler?
1: Could she be any more torn up about these dolphins?
0: <laughs> this is really good.
1: Uh, no, and and the she's is
0: yeah, but she isn't.
1: Yeah, and so now she has like it's literally like a half sentence. She's like yeah, maybe this is wrong, oh, but I don't really have a choice. Boom, acquired whale.
0: So they they swim out as dolphins into the ocean. She morphs back to human, acquires the whale, and then she morphs into a cockroach. And Tobias picks her up in some way. We're not totally certain.
1: Can we? Just brief aside, make it canon now that the whale's name is Gunter. <laughs> From Central Perk.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, okay. I got it. Right, I got yeah, it. No, okay. I was on the wave with you. <laughs> I regretted being on the wave with you, but I was on the wave. Yeah. So she acquires Gunter and then becomes a, a, morphs a cockroach so that she can hop on Tobias. Tobias flies high into the air, which is difficult because red tail hawks are not meant for There's ocean There's no travel. thermals
1: over the water. got
0: thermals. them
1: thermals.
0: Uh-uh, no thermals. But he claps hard up into the air. And then she jumps off him, morphs human. To attract the Velik, and the Velik is like hanging around, kind of, but is too scared to go after all of the dolphin animorphs in the water. Right,
1: it doesn't like the water. It yeah, knows it doesn't it like knows. the water.
0: So It's Cassie, sort of hovering above them. Yeah, Cassie morphs back to human from cockroach. The Velik attracts her, sort of wraps her up, and we get this really interesting moment where Cassie is like, I'm too goddamn tired to morph again. But also, I have to morph again. And she sort of emotionally taps into the whale's strength. But she does. She morphs a whale after the Velik has wrapped her up in its tendrils. And she more or less drowns the Velik in the water because it can't...
1: Right, and it so can't it just... let go of her fast enough.
0: No, it, he's just drawn, it's just drawn into the water. And is more or less sort of dissipated as a form, and it seems to no longer be an issue. And that's the end of the goddamn book.
1: So, that's mega sode number one. Thanks, everyone, for listening to <laughs> Fandalites. Like and subscribe. Uh, hit us up in the comments below, etc., etc.
0: Enjoy the music.
1: Yeah, follow us on, uh, on Tumblr. Yeah, at
0: Fandalites at Tumblr.com.
1: Uh, hit us up on Twitter, at Fandalites. Um. Shout out to all of our followers on Twitter, you guys. Hey. Rule. Uh, thanks to Dustin O'Dell for the use of our intro and outro music. Um, also, a little bit of housekeeping. We have a new website uh, mm. now. In addition to Fandalites.com, uh, you can submit your true and accurate Andalite fan art at andalitetruth.org, the uh, web's number one site dedicated to exposing the Andalite Portrayal conspiracy. Yeah,
0: the for real andalite. Not the, the torso not the is a lie. Cover, the torso is a lie. Book cover andalites are false. You're you're so deep into the magazine ideal of andalites, you don't even know what the real andalites look like.
1: Read the literature, people. <laughs> look at the read the literature. It's in the book. It's right in the books. You sheep. Anyway, hashtag Andalite Truth, hashtag Andalite Truth, org. Hit us up. Uh, andalites at gmail.com. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next time for Book 8. Nostalgia is a drug. Nostalgia is a drug.